Want a better way to hire? We asked businesses across Australia. We trialled Liam through Youth Jobs Path and then hired him as a design assistant. Liam is so keen to learn. He gets along with everyone and we get help with wage and training costs. Louise gave me a go and now I've got a job. Yeah, it worked for us. To find motivated young staff and get up to $10,000 in assistance, search Youth Jobs Path. Authorised by the Australian Government Canberra, spoken by Jay Green, L Nobes and L Nicolau. Hello, you're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan and I'm here with David Scott. Colgo James, nice to be here. Our guest this week uh, is James Whelan, um, Investment Manager at VFS Group. James, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you, Paul. It is fantastic to be here. Great to be here. You can find the show on iTunes um, under Devils and Details uh, where you can subscribe to us, uh, rate us and leave us uh, a review. Um, look, on this week's show, uh, we're, we've got uh, three key things on the agenda. One is the outcome of the Australian election and our, the prospects for our AAA credit rating. Just as we are recording, um, S&P uh, revised down the outlook on Australia's um, sovereign uh, credit rating from uh, stable to negative. Um, there's been a bit of action around that, so we will cover that. There has um, also been a huge uh, rally in global bonds this week, and going to kick off with that in a second and um, also later on the show we'll talk about uh, events in in Europe uh, which have been really troubling markets uh, this week. Um, We've had a couple of uh, property funds, uh, a handful of property funds shuttering um, their doors to uh, client withdrawals Uh, and also we've got this Italian referendum coming up uh, later in the year um, and there's a lot of um, concern over the impact that that will have on, um, on the future of the European project. But I want to start with what has been the uh, astonishing um, moves this week um, around the world uh, in global bonds. Um, there's a theme here. We're back to bad news is bad news. Um, we're looking at um, yields plunging around the world, um, including here in Australia. David, do you want to take us through what's happened this week? Well, how long have we got for the show today? I think we've only got uh, 30 or 40 minutes maximum. We could probably go and do the whole, uh, whole podcast on the, uh, the bond market this week. Uh, it's been remarkable. Uh, everywhere around the world, uh, a lot of the major monetary uh, jurisdictions have seen uh, their sovereign bond yields, government bond yields, uh, plumbing fresh all-time lows. Uh, you talk about uh, no, Swiss government uh, bonds that had to 50 years. Uh, every single bond is, uh, is trading with a negative yield now. So essentially you're, uh, you're paying the Swiss government to go and borrow your money, which I find is remarkable. Uh, that's being replicated across great swathes of Europe. Uh, you're talking about the same things with Germany, uh, with uh, the UK, the US, and Australia. I, I wrote a piece yesterday about Australia having a, our sovereign uh, bond curvier, where it's yielding at the moment, is now the lowest it's ever been since 1870. It was an amazing uh, chart um, uh, from uh, C- CBA's um, FX uh, strategy team, which showed the, um, the, that historical um, rate and the, the yields on, on Australian government bonds and just this plunging... Um, to all-time record lows, um, and I think uh, 1.85%. Um, it was um, looking at earlier th- yeah, that this was, week. That was that's the benchmark 10-year yield, which uh, went and plumbed that low. So comparatively, it's still very high compared to the rest of the world. But just from our own perspective, it's an historic low. So make of that what you will. And this is one of the things, isn't it, that the that 1.85% is actually a good yield in this world, and that's one of the things that's actually driving the yields lower for the for for, for Australian debt. It is. It's, uh, it's encouraging a lot of foreign investments to sort of come in, and we'll see what happens uh, potentially if there is a, a full ratings downgrade from S&P and perhaps others. But 
the, the greatest theme is, uh, you know, what does the bond market rally mean? Why are yields around the world negative? Uh, if you look at any economic textbook, it would go and tell you that, you know, it's where the curve is shaping is telling you where growth and where inflation expectations are in the future. Uh, at the moment, on that score, it's, uh, it's terrible. It's really deeply concerning. And uh, whilst, obviously, central banks have had a, a role in augmenting that uh, by enacting quantitative easing programs and the like, it really is concerning. And, and businesses and households who have been taught to go and look what interest rates are going to do in the future as a guide for growth, it's, uh, it's really concerning. The global growth outlook uh, is struggling to find a new leg isn't it? It's, it, it's trying to find um, a new source of growth um, around the world. I mean, we had this ridiculous G20 meeting um, uh, when, um, under the Abbott government and they hosted everybody here and they had this meeting and it was a commitment to add, I think, 100 basis points to global growth through um, policy and, you know, that we managed to pull this off. But, you know, when you see those charts that show the, uh, the you know, every six months the um, growth outlook, outlook globally being revised down consistently over the last seven years. Maybe this is really settling in now that um, the um, global GDP uh, is, is looking flat for quite a while. That's correct. And you look at during that period where you've had this huge wave of quantitative easing done around the world, whether it be from the Fed or the ECB or the Bank of Japan or whoever, I like, know a lot of the, uh, the major central banks have enacted this policy. Um, but that's also corresponded with a time when you've seen global growth is absolutely slowing to a crawl. It's already way below its historic norms and doesn't look like it's going to get back anytime soon. And whilst a lot of the, uh, the groups such as the IMF and the World Bank have those uh, rosy you know, uptick uh, charts that you don't see where it uh, looks like the Nike swoosh, it's all going to be uh, better in the future. It just simply is not occurring. Um, and brings back to, uh, to one thing I'm concerned about is that what central bank policy at the moment is doing is actually feeding this, this notion that the economy is going to slow and that there's going to be lower growth and lower returns by simply encouraging firms and businesses to go and be short-term in their thinking. Uh, you've got yields being depressed around the world. People are chasing returns, and that creates the, uh, the, thing, the, the obligation for some companies rather than reinvest in their actual business. They're looking at the yield curve going, well, it's horrible, but at the same time, uh, we've got to go and attract investors. So they go and pay out profitability, uh, profits in return. That's creating a short-term thing. It's great for asset markets at the moment, but what is it actually doing to, the, to fundamental growth at the moment? Uh, you know, what you've seen over the past five, six years is uh, it's doing anything but help. You know, it's pushing people out the risk spectrum, but there's no one actually, you know, it's not helping to go and build infrastructure. It's not helping to go and buttress economic growth. And I think this year, um, maybe some of this has been coming home to roost for the Australian stock market. Um, you know, the market is just largely flat um, since the start of the year, um, even though we've had a, it's had a couple of tilts um, at what looks like a, you know, a couple of percentage point rallies. Um, but largely, the market has been trading flat. And um, when you look at the earnings profiles for Australian listed companies, they're not looking great. Um, I got a note from PIMCO um, earlier today which, which explained something pretty extraordinary, that um, over the last eight financial years, bond returns have exceeded equity returns on average by over 250 basis points per annum. Right? Um, and they've you know, achieved this with almost one-fifth of the volatility of equities and have continued to demonstrate strong diversification 
diversification benefits. Now, this is PIMCO. Um, You've got to talk your own book sometimes, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, but, um, James, how have you seen the, the um, relationship between the, the, the bond market uh, and, and, and stocks um, over the last couple of years? Do you think maybe some of the, there's some harsh truths um, starting to settle in now? There is a harsh truth, but and I mean anything to do with where bonds move, how they price, why they move, defer to David Scott. He is the expert in this in this room with regards to that. With regards to the mentality of the of the standard Australian shareholder, uh, and we're going to point directly to the to the, your average super fund uh, owner. They steer clear of, of of investing in bonds. That's there, and all those reasons are true, and all those reasons are fantastic. But for some reason in Australia. We've owned BHP, we've, we've got AMP, we've got West Farmers, we've got these stocks that are in there that are big that seem to be, might be winding myself down a, down a path here that I'm not going to be able to get myself out of, but it's possible that we see some of these big stocks, big houses and big banks as being sort of a, uh, what's, what's the word, uh, a, a, like, a, like a substitute for investing in, it, in, in that market of it being nice, safe, regular returns, everything's okay, it's as good as a bond. I'm not saying it is. Obviously, I think that Pimco and David will probably uh, disagree with me on that one. But that is, is the mentality and the mindset of the retail investor. And as a broker, bonds are often much more difficult to uh, explain to a retail investor, let alone actually trying to get them to invest in it that's there as well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I think from memory, um, I've seen some figures where, you know, in Australia, fixed income tends to typically make up about 10 to 20% of a, um, of a retirement um, savings um, portfolio, uh, whereas in other countries you might have that 30% and above. And of course, rolled up, the result of that is you have all of this extra um, uh, capital which can be allocated to equities, right? That's, that's correct. And, and sort of going on with, with what we were saying before was that uh, go with the mentality of the Australian investor. On a risk-reward balance, I believe that Australian investors are more risk-averse in that they're, they're, they're okay taking a bigger punt on a stock that, that may correct by 30% in order to make a 100% gain. They'll go into your BHPs, your Fortescues, your South 32s, your, that's that, with mining stocks. That's, that's, everyone's got the, 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 a whole bucket full of speculative mining plays that may just one day dig something out of the ground. Uh, that, that's what we're okay doing. Yeah, however, if you say, but I'll put you into this and you could make, you know, for the rest of your entire life, it's an easy three, four, 5% that's in there. People will say, well, Okay, I'm okay to give up some of that risk in order to maybe make 100% on Tenoldra Zinc Incorporated that, that, that may have some tenements out next to some tenement that might have dug something out of the ground quite well 10 years ago. Correct. James, I just want to ask you as an equity guy, a lot of people have made a, a big hoo-ha about, you know, that obviously the ASX hasn't reclaimed its previous highs from the GFC. You know, we can talk about the accumulation index. Obviously, it has gone and reclaimed those highs when you incorporate dividends and the like. But where, in your opinion, is the growth going to come from for banks and miners? Because they are the two dominant components within the ASX 200. Where is the growth going to come from and what's going to go and drive that index higher? Because from my perspective and what the bond market is telling us at the moment is that there is no growth, that it is very, very bad at the moment, the outlook. I have to agree with you on that. And I don't know where that growth is going to come from. Where the next, where's the next China? We rode for, what, 10 years on the lead up to the, uh, the, the GFC on this Chinese expansion that was fantastic. Uh, and that was that was growth, new markets, everything was going in, new opening, new sites, new mines, new jobs, new everything. We had a housing boom that was on the back of that that was fantastic for the banks. The, re the fact is that we've been 
faked. We've been robbed of having any real growth because of uh, really companies have just used money instead of instead of capital expenditure and, and actual real growth. They've pretty much just used it to buy back their own stock, and that's and that's changed that ratio that's there. That, that, so if you just remove the number of if you reduce the number of stocks that are on there, it's sort of faking faking your books, and there's not actual real substantial proper growth, if you'll excuse the expression. It's more just sort of on the books growth. Which leads me nicely into um, what we're going to talk about next, which is what happened last Saturday. Um, when I think about the election results, I wrote a piece on the day after, and I, I was explaining that I, I couldn't get out of my head the opening scene of The Hangover, where um, Zach Galifianakis, um, uh, he wakes up uh, in the trashed hotel room, and he goes to the bathroom, almost trips over a duck, uh, walks in, starts doing his business, and he turns around and he realizes there's a Bengal tiger staring at him and that he's somehow managed to bring this home. Where are you going with this? Where are you going with this? Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, it's just like, oh, my goodness, what has happened? What have we done? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, and you get flashbacks of the day before. I, 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 it's possible... Going back even further is that uh, going into the Saturday election when it was, okay, it, we knew it was going to be tight, but we knew, we knew that Malcolm Turnbull was going to be returned as the Prime Minister. Maybe the Senate was going to be a bit of a, a, bit of a basket case for him to have to deal with because of the double dissolution and, and needing half a quota and it was going to be quite... But he would have a mandate. But he would have some sort of a mandate and he would at least be an elected leader as opposed to, you know, because he took the leadership from, from Abbott. So he would have the chance to say, OK, I've gone to the polls and people have decided that I'm the Prime Minister. Great. That's fantastic. We'd had a week post-Brexit of that started off with everything is ending, um, we're all, we're all going to die, the sky is falling, that then turned into, by Friday, everything was picking up, there was a rally, Australia was a very, very investable country, we were going to have you know, a stable government that were going to be returned, potentially some, you know, some fiscal policy that might start turning things around and getting rid of this massive debt that we've got hanging over us. Uh, and that was on Friday. Saturday, that's it. Tore all that up, throw that out the window, and next thing you know, I'm hungover looking at a tiger in the bathroom, you know, wondering, wondering what the next thing is going to be. And the immediate thing that came out was that, that, the, that, that our ratings, our credit outlook was going to be reviewed. That's right. And, yeah, yeah, and the, the tiger's name is Pauline Hansen, right? So... He's got. He, 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 the, what Turnbull will have to deal with now is is beyond anything that he even wanted to be comprehending to think about. Yeah. I mean, look, as as we're here, we're recording on the um, uh, middle of the day on Thursday. Um, it's looking like the coalition is going to have about seventy four seats, so it needs two more. Um, I think there are four that are um, three that are really still close. Um, so, um, and then there's obviously, um, you know, there's Bob Catter, if he needs one more seat, um, who, you know, um, Bob is a bit crazy, but, um, you know, he's a conservative at heart. Um, so, so, so it's looking like at this stage, the Turnbull's going to be able to put something together. It's absolutely the, the most likely outcome. Um, uh, Labour just simply doesn't appear to have enough seats, um, to be able to put together a functioning majority, um, on the floor, but it does come back to this this question that we we touched on earlier, which is the the you know if you're looking for companies, even Australian companies, um, to back themselves and to say 
right, we know what, how things are going to look over the next few years because we've got a stable policy environment and we can go and make some very significant investment decisions. Um, that environment has now, you know, what people were hoping for, you know, even if it was just the prospect of tax, co corporate tax cuts in, you know, seven or eight years' time for the, for, for the big guys, um, that at least they'd have a, they'd have a, a path um, to walk down. Um, but that's now not there. Well, a buddy of mine, uh, I'll use a, a good old anecdote, and this is a bit, a bit of a strange one, but I'm going somewhere with this. It's better than your Tiger one, Paul. So the, I'm listening carefully. Okay. The, the buddy of mine is uh, general manager of the Maserati Ferrari uh, Centre down at Green Square. What a great job. It's a good gig, isn't it? It's fantastic. Uh, the, he mentioned, and I'm always interested to find out what's going on. If, 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 if he says it's been a great month, it's fantastic, then I'm buying stocks because something's going, something's going very well. Apparently there's been a, a, a real hold-off lately, on, and these are guys, his usual, regular customers that, you know, once a month they'll, you know, they've got their annual Ferrari or their annual Maserati or whatever they'll buy, and that's what they'll do. And they've been holding off. They were holding off because of the election. And these are guys that don't care, right, whether they have four boats or five boats. These are the top-end guys. They don't care. So if you think that that Timmy Tooltime, who runs a greengrocer, is, is going to all of a sudden decide to go and buy another greengrocer or extend or put on another couple of staff after the result on the weekend, then you, you are so wrong. There, no, I think that we're, we're, it's possible, I try and stay away from definite statements, but we're heading into a, a few years of stagnation as our parliament is deadlocked. The Senate, don't even worry about it, because you still need stuff to get through the Senate. And that Senate, I'm looking at the Senate numbers here, I, I, I can't imagine anything that's worse than, than these numbers that you're going to have in the Senate to deal with. Nothing will get passed. So any, any changes that were, that were planned to be done, that, were, that needed to be made, no chance. That, that's gone. Right now what you're looking at is a bunch of deals that are going to be on single-issue things, which is what I want to talk about. With, so take a, take a banking royal commission, for example. If Turnbull needs to do a negotiation on, with one of these guys, and okay, Xenophon's got one, one member of parliament in the House of Representatives, so he needs that extra one, and, and they say, well, look, we, we need you to... We need you to, to put a banking royal commission on, or anything. Okay, it could be we need you to change the side of the road that people drive on. Okay, that all of a sudden is on the table for for a real discussion. Anything's up for grabs on this stuff now, but the one thing that isn't going to happen is there's not going to be any real significant change of policy in any direction. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating time, and um, you know, at the same time, the Australian economy. I mean, look, we've had you know chaos in politics for the last uh, six years. Um, and yet, you know, um, to be honest, what, what has really been hurting in that time has been the budget deficit. So um, just because of senator arithmetic or, or the political atmospherics that we've been through um, and the differing views on, um, you know, what role um, the government should be playing in the economy and, and um, how much... Um, you know, just how large the deficits that you should be that you should be running should be at this at, at this time. Um, that that has been deteriorating, but the economy overall has been going pretty good. If you look at the you know the the headline uh, GDP growth rates, I mean we we just turned in twelve months at um, at three percent. That's right. So they're putting off their Maserati purchases, but they've still got money to buy a Maserati. If you go on with the metaphor that's there, everything's still okay. 
It's still okay, but we've got to remember that GDP measures things in volumes and not income terms, and the income terms is uh, far weaker. Uh, and you go and look at a whole lot of other metrics to do with GDP, whether you want to go and do it via uh, population base per capita uh, or anything like that, or if you look, want to go and look from the, the trade-exposed side of, the, uh, of GDP, so what we've been doing from the trade sector, the, in, the actual domestic economy itself, whilst there's been okay growth in, uh, in, in consumption, household consumption, and a bit of uh, added on from uh, from resi construction, uh, there really hasn't been that much performance. You know, if you go and strip it back to um, to excluding like you know, the effects of population, it's probably stagnant. It maybe even potentially going backwards. So, um, the, the, what's just happened, as I touched on earlier, has been the as a lot of people predicted, um, one of the ratings agency first to go S and P, uh, revising down the sovereign credit outlook for Australia's AAA rating from stable to negative. Um, David, why don't you just talk us through what that means and what the effect has been on the markets? Well, remember this is around midday, just after midday on Thursday, so a lot of things can go now and, and a lot of water to flow under the bridge in the, uh, in the period ahead. Um, essentially, S&P is uh, being fed up with promises of Australia's government uh, going returning to surplus at a particular date, only to see the deficits get bigger and uh, extended out further into the future. And I completely understand where they come from. A lot of the hard fiscal uh, decisions that need to be made haven't been made, and that's partly because of the way that Australia's populace has voted in the elections and who they've put in power. Uh, no one's been given a clear mandate, and no one's really prepared to go and make the tough decisions. So uh, S&P has gone and done a, a negative watch. Uh, you know, people talk about uh, the cockroach theory when it comes to, uh, to rate cuts. Well, you know, you look at uh, the history of what happens when one major rating agency uh, goes and makes a move on a particular country or an entity, and in this case, S&P is the most, the largest and the most sort of probably well regarded in the other uh, system. Uh, whether Fitch and Moody's going uh, and follow suit, it's probably fairly likely. Yeah, and going through that too, uh, look, it, it shrugged off. It, it's the Aussie dollar seems to have shrugged off uh, any any hit that it took with the uh, the negative uh, outlook. Can we talk for a second, really, really quick second? What does a negative... OK, our, our AAA rating stayed the same, which people seem to have gone, oh, that's OK. Our AAA rating stayed the same. We've still got all three letters. If it was all of a sudden two letters, then we probably would have cancelled this podcast because you guys would have had some real work to do. The, the, what does this negative outlook mean? If, if, I was, if I was standing in a waiting room and I've gone in to see the doctor and he says your outlook is negative, OK, I'm not... I'm not prognosis on, negative. Prognosis is negative, right? The Aussie dollar got sold off and got bought, and got bought straight back up. So is it actually, is it as negative as negative as negative is? Or is negative actually really stable, but as long as we've got AAA, then it's not that negative? I'll have to go and uh, check the absolute definitive definition of what it is. But uh, my rule of thumb is that uh, it provides a one in three chance that the ratings, are, the ratings could be downgraded. So in this case, it would probably be a single notch. So from AAA, it'd go to AA+, uh, when the next review is completed, you know, usually within a quarter's time. Yeah, I wanted to talk about how often they do their, their reviews as well. Could this just snap out of the blue at any stage next week and they say, we've done another review and we've decided to go double A? And look, the other thing is that, um, as we saw, look, it, there was a little ding on the Aussie, I think 50, 60 bips or something. Um, and, um, you know, and it, like, it got bought back up again straight away. Good old, um, a, a good old Asian trading session. Um, but um, the thing is... Th it, the Australian economy needs a lower dollar anyway, doesn't it? Um, probably 70 or you know, 65 cents would be enormously helpful. 
It would be. And uh, obviously, monetary policy, RBA, has got a lot to do with that. Also, the biggest uh, no, factor in that is the, uh, is the US Federal Reserve and what they choose to do, which at the moment is very debatable, whether we'll even see another rate increase based on what the, uh, the curve is showing. I've got a slightly uh, controversial theory when it comes to the ratings, uh, you know, AAA and how important it is. I think it's incredibly important for politicians to go and have the AAA credit rating. Uh, it's something they can go and pin their, uh, their badge on and go, you know, we're, we're the best of the best and everything else. But I'd love to go and see what the impact would be from, uh, say, a one-notch downgrade to, triple, or to AA+. Plus what its impact would be on the Australian dollar. If the Australian dollar would go and fall substantially, and let's be honest, we've seen a couple of, uh, you know, I think it was a two-notch downgrade for the UK and the pound plummeted, would it be better for the Australian economy to have a AA-plus credit rating and have a substantially lower Aussie dollar? My view, and I said it's controversial, I think it may actually be better for the economy. I think that all of a sudden the cost of funds, and you, you used to work at a Treasury team, so you'd know this better than I would, so just come in any time you want, David, but... The cost of funds for your banks goes up, which then squeezes their net interest margins and starts to hurt. It, that will get passed on to, to the retail investors as well. It does, but the pool of AAA-rated nations now is diminishing fast, and uh, the way it's going, there'll probably be none left uh, within the next uh, next year or two. They seem to be dropping like flies at the moment. But you're talking about no, a few few basis points. Like You're not talking about a huge move in funding costs. No, a slightly higher borrowing cost for the government, a slightly higher borrowing cost for business, a slightly higher borrowing cost for households. I'm talking like not a percent, not half a percent, not 0.1 of a percent. I'm talking like, no, two, three pips. That's what we're talking about. A global pool of capital has to go and flow somewhere. Um, my view is that uh, no, it may not be a bad thing. I, you're, the, you're the man on this one. I mean, you can tell that I'm, I'm not super positive on the banks at the moment heading into potentially a Royal Commission and also potentially with a, with a downgrade of our ratings, which, which is going to... It will increase the cost of funds in some way. The regional banks might get hit a little bit um, on that one because their cost of funds was already high enough. But that's good to know, that it's not as big a deal as it potentially could be. All you have to do is look at the look at the the trade exposed side of the economy, the domestic economy that's uh, you know, benefited from the Australian dollar, tourism, education. Those things are absolutely flying at the moment, and that's where the Aussie dollar where it is at the moment. You can imagine where it would be, how competitive we would be, and how much of a, you know, a destination that would be for people to come and use our services and, and employ our people if it was substantially lower. I think the cross against the U.S. isn't. It's not going to be us that's doing it. We're going to need the U.S. to really to really pull their weight. On that, on that cross with the Aussie-US cross that's there. It can't just be us having... You know, the RBA wants to cut, they go ahead and cut. That's, that, is that going to be enough to get us down to the 60s? Oh, I think it would be very hard for them, you know, um, 25 basis point cut, which um, the market's now expecting in, in August, although um, we'll see, obviously, in the inflation data that comes out later, that, later this month, if there's, a, um, if there's a little surge in inflation, maybe, um, you know, a rate cut might, uh, might be pushed out again. Um, but um, I, I think you're right. The heavy lifting does need to be done by the Fed um, if the Aussie dollar was really going to get um, smashed. Um, and, you know, after Brexit and all the uncertainty that's uh, cropped up around there, um, we're now looking at, um, I think, David, you said a couple of weeks ago on this podcast that the, you, you thought there, um, that there's a chance that absolutely no, um, no um, increase from the Fed and even a chance of a cut. 
Well, given the concerns about the, uh, the global economy, uh, if the US falters, and I'm not saying that it is at this point in time, there's a very strong chance that there would be you know, a reversal in policy. And who knows, they may even you know, re <laughs> you'd have um, QE4. Is it, we're up to QE4 or QE5 now. I can't even keep track of so many. They go back into twist or something like that. I don't know what else there is to do. Oh, no, I think that would be outright asset purchase. But, of course, we're up in this hy hypothesis here. It's, uh, it's not, uh, not uh, anything certain. But... The one thing is crucial now, this being Thursday, we've got tomorrow and being uh, the first Friday of the month, we've got non-farm payrolls in the States. And you know, it seems to be the endless saying that it's, it's an incredibly important release. But with so many concerns about the, uh, the, the global economy, if the US goes and produces another lackluster performance from the, you know, the, the hiring front like they did in May, the markets could literally, you know, proverbial hit the... It's, uh, it's, it's really, you know... We're back to, as you said at the start of the, uh, the, the podcast, Paul, that we're, uh, bad news is bad news. And if the U.S. economy, the biggest in the world, is starting to falter, who is left to go and pick up the slack? Who is there? And that's the question. You've got China. China, when it looks to China, they do have fiscal firepower. They have monetary firepower. But if the U.S. economy starts faltering, the Eurozone is an absolute mess. Uh, if, and that leads it to China. I can understand why people are very concerned, and that's why tomorrow night's non-farm payrolls report uh, will be crucial to determining you know, what the markets are probably likely to do over the, uh, the, the next week. I've got to agree with you on that. I think the bad news is bad news. It's one of those times. And, and talking earlier about this as I was to a client, we had, uh, we had a week where in the US good news was actually good news, and then all of that just got washed away. It had taken years to get good news to be good news again, and now it's gone. Now bad news is bad news again. A bad, bad non-farm payrolls on Friday night is is raising and, and making a lot of people correct. I heard uh, this morning that Deutsche Bank has a 60% chance of a U.S. recession in the future. Speaking and of our friends at Deutsche Bank, um, I think they're um, they're pretty exposed to what's happening in Italy at the moment, which I just want to um, look at briefly because um, there's a couple of things going on in Europe that uh, that we really should touch on. So the first is... This issue with property funds in the UK. So um, I think it's now we've got five very large um, commercial property trusts um, which have um, shut their gates to um, client withdrawals. Um, now, basically, this is about, you know, clients going, well, I'm kind of worried about the outlook for the UK commercial property sector. Give me my money back. And... Uh, they're saying, look, no, we need to liquidate some of the assets. We need to sell some stuff off. And, of course, that creates a very bad outlook for the commercial, even worse outlook for commercial property. Um, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. You can't, just flip, you can't just flip property and just go, okay, we just sold it on market and it's all good to go, so here's your money. And the next step then is people say, okay, well, what other assets can I go and liquidate and can I get my money out of? And they go and knock, knock on somebody else's door. And maybe it's not commercial property. Maybe it's a, you know, equity fund or... And you um, get a widespread sell-off that's going on. And also with the property funds is that if, if, if you're a fund and you've got, you know, you've got your batch of uh, commercial property in London, which one is easier to sell? It's going to be your better one. So you have to sell it because someone, someone wants their money and you're going to have to pay them eventually. Which one is the easiest one to sell? It's going to be your better properties. So eventually those funds are actually just going to be left holding with not terribly good assets. Correct. Um, now, that's, that's the end result of this. Play the tape to the end. This is what happens. It, look, it is concerning. Um, so then you go uh, southeast um, from, from London, where that is all happening to Italy. 
um, and um, the world's oldest bank, which is Monte Dei Pashi di Siena, right? Um, it's got a, a loan book, a bad loan book of uh, about 47 billion euros right now. So that's got the European Central Bank very worried. Um, and what's happening in Italian politics at the moment is that the Prime, Min Prime Minister Matteo Renzi uh, is taking some, um, some reforms, um, some voting reforms to the country in a, a referendum on Senate voting towards the end of the year. Um, the long and short of this is if that referendum fails, um, Renzi's uh, ability to um, manage through the problems in the banking sector uh, may disappear. He may have to resign, um, and then it will be on for young and old. Um, James, what your, what's your, um, your take on this? Are you concerned? So, you, you know, you're looking, you know, I suppose largely with clients talking about Australian equities. Um, any concern on this this week? I think that it's more just it's more just the trend of global banks uh, and and the way that the battle that is going on at the moment between the the hedge funds and the super funds uh, with regards to shorting the uh, the Aussie banks. That's just based on because our banks look expensive compared to the rest of the world's banks, which have come off significantly. That's that's where this one is is starting to impact us. Our exposure to that particular bank, and and I think can we agree three Brownlow points for Paul Colgan on the correct pronunciation of the oldest bank in. In the world? Stupende. Bravo. <laughs> uh, the, the, the going on with that number, 17% uh, of Italian bank loans are bad, which in US dollar terms was about $401 billion. So there's some big numbers for you. David Scott. Well, it's, uh, you've got, I won't call them crises because they're not crises yet, but you've got turmoil in UK politics. You've got potential turmoil in, uh, in Italian politics. You've got financial sector concerns in the UK, now you've got financial sector concerns in Italy. So that's the second and I think it's the fourth biggest economies in the Euro European Union. Uh, and we talk about economic block, the Eurozone I think is this the biggest economic block. It, uh, it's bigger than China, it's bigger than the United States. Uh, they have some pretty big bickies and some pretty big concerns. Um, as for the, the political side of things in Italy, I think obviously what we saw with Brexit is uh, no, the potential if this, uh, this referendum fails and Renzi is forced to resign or there's a hash of, a, of a, something that develops in, uh, in Italian politics, which we all know happens from time to time and we've seen the fights and everything else that's, uh, that's occurred over the years in the chambers there. Um, what that will lead to, and everyone's looking at this, uh, this five-star movement, which is polling very well uh, at the moment. They're a Eurosceptic party. They want out. Uh, just the potential, and I know the unease of what this potentially could go and do to the European Union if these guys were to go and get a grip in Italian politic power. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to fathom what that would mean for the European Union as a whole. It, I think if you put it all into one big basket, uh, you've got redemptions uh, for UK property funds as companies have to leave London potentially, the self-fulfilling prophecy of it, you know, that th th those funds will lose money. Italian banks, global banks... Uh, it's possible that, if you want to summarise it, a lot of people said, when Brexit happened, is this the next Lehman's? And the answer was very much no. This isn't the next Lehman's. This isn't another Lehman's incident because banks are still lending to each other. Everything is still OK. With this sort of stuff starting to compound now, it is possible that you could say that this is a Lehman-esque situation. Lehman-esque. Um, quite a worrying word. And I suppose Greg McKenna, um, who's been in financial markets for, for 20 years, uh, he was writing... Um, he wrote a column on, on Business Insider this week where he said it just felt a little bit like 2007. There's a few things that are just not right, particularly funds 
and gating on client withdrawals. Um, and when you get one after the other, um, then that's where you start to um, see some some issues. Because I suppose the question in, 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 in 2008 was the big scare was who has the debt? Um, who's carrying what? And nobody really knew. Um, whereas, you know, we're not at that point now where, where people are completely in, in panic. No, and, and we are a long, long way, I want to emphasize. It is a long, long way. But we know who's carrying the debt. The answer is everyone. It does have that feel of a snowball effect, having witnessed it firsthand in my, uh, my previous life. It's uh, certainly just uneasiness about what's going on, and particularly in Italy with the bailout of the banks. You know, there's obviously you know, a reluctance of the European Union to go and bail out the banks. Uh, you know, can Italy actually, the Italian government, actually going to afford to go and bail out these banks? Um, is it going to be left to the private sector, which, I'm, mind you, is a lot of the Italian bank debt is held by... Um, elderly Italians. It's a, it's a pension, uh, pension of funding uh, where they go and uh, fund their retirement by investing in banks rather than property and everything else. It's, uh, it's, it's something that's really uneasy. Um, it's going to be interesting. As it does have that feel about there's something not quite right. You know, We've got asset prices around the world have been absolutely bid to buggery. They are so high at the moment and that's courtesy of uh, you know, central bank policy. Now, if there was to be another financial crisis, whether it comes from the UK or Italy or elsewhere, the biggest concern for me at this point in time is that there is complete and lack of uh, fiscal and, uh, and monetary firepower available to go and correct it. There is nothing there now. Now, I'm not saying this is going to go and occur, uh, but if something was to go and eventuate on those lines, I really fear what it could do to, to asset markets and the global economy as a whole. That's right. It's the, it's the, the black swan, the highly, highly unlikely, and I just, you know, I think it is worth stressing this point, it does look like these things are largely under control. Um, I think the UK has done a, a pretty good job of um, steadying heads. I mean, we saw some big falls, particularly in, in sterling. Obviously, it got smashed. Um, but markets have largely picked themselves off the mat um, in the time since. Um, I suppose one of the things we were, we were just talking before the show about, you know, this is the world we live in now. It's become so unpredictable and uh, you know things change so much you know that when we're when we're doing a podcast like this it's very hard we probably need to um, have sort of different edits that uh, Josh um, Nicholas the producer can slot in for you know and um, you know I think it'd be really good for the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull Bill Jordan insert <laughs> insert Prime Minister here and it just it would just change it based on what the numbers are coming through and it's really good that we've maintained our triple A credit rating double A plus credit rating um, and, and you know, and it was great to see the rally in stocks bonds this week. Yeah, rally yeah. correction. Yeah, um, it, it, it is that case now. As soon as you, you start writing a sentence to a client, by the time you finish that sentence, the situation may be changed, and that and that is a very very difficult environment to trade in, um, and it's a very difficult environment to to advise in. And it's really you need calm heads, stay cool, keep your finger off the button, just make sure that it's not a panic and, and, and that when you're reacting to it, you're not reacting in a knee-jerk fashion. That's right. Have a plan. Stick, stick to your view. Um, now, and, you know, when the facts change, change your view. Um, so, um, look, you've been listening to the Devils in Details podcast uh, on Business Insider Australia. Um, our guest this week has been James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. You can find James at uh, vfsgroup.com.au, and he's also on Twitter, um, and he's, uh, he's, uh, he's pretty good on there too. Thanks for coming on the show, James. Thanks, Paul. It's always great to be up here, mate. And David Scott, um, our global markets uh, reporter at Business Insider here in Sydney. Thanks again, Scotty. Fantastic. Look forward to being here next week. 
You can find the show on iTunes under Devils and Details where you can subscribe, um, rate us, and leave us a review. Um, the show is produced by uh, Josh Nicholas, and I'm Paul Colgan. We will talk to you soon. This podcast was delivered by Australia Post. If you've ever received a branded package, you'll know it's a small detail that makes a big first impression. Now with Australia Post, you can design your own personalised packaging. For more info, go to auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.